of all, again, thank you for joining us today. And I know that, that uh, uh, a lot of you, some of you have been here in, in recent weeks. Some of you have been traveling. This is a real traveling time of year. A lot of people going camping or traveling or family reunions or some event someplace else. And so we understand that. But we've been, we've been in the book of Genesis. So you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 39. This is, I think, our fifth week. In, in this section of God's Word, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. Uh, there are so many things. It's not just, not just the creation story, the events of creation uh, that are recorded there. That's just in the first few chapters, and there are certainly beginnings there, but there are a lot of things that you see in human nature recorded for the first time all the way back to the Garden of Eden, how people responded or how people acted in, in, in this world. And, and so you see then also in the book of Genesis how God, how God is working in people's lives and speaking and changing people. And, 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 and even though the events of the book of Genesis happened a very long time ago, we can very easily relate to it. And we're, so we're here in Genesis chapter 39. The, the man that we're looking at, his name was Joseph, and we have been calling him the dreamer. We have been calling him the dreamer. Uh, we, we call him the dreamer because God gave Joseph a dream. God gave Joseph a dream. We'll say a few things about that in a moment here. But God gave him a dream, and then later in his life, we'll see this in weeks to come, later in his life, Joseph would explain dreams. God would use him to explain dreams that God gave to others. So he not only had dreams, but he would also supernaturally explain the dreams that God gave to other people. So he's not only the dreamer, he's also the interpreter of dreams. Here is Joseph's story in brief, and it's, it's a big story, but, but here it is in brief, at least up to this point. In a dream, God showed 17-year-old Joseph, and that's an important number, God showed 17-year-old Joseph something that would happen in his future. God gave him a dream. He, he showed him that Joseph's family would one day bow down to him. Two different dreams, both of them showing that members of his family would bow down to him. No other details were given in the dream just that his family was going to bow down to him. There was no record there of the, the why they were going to bow down to him or when they were going to bow down to him or, or, or how or the circumstances surrounding when and why they would bow down. None of those details were given, which was actually a good thing because had God explained the why or the how or the when of when this would happen, or how this would happen, it would have overwhelmed Joseph. All God gave him was a glimpse into the future of what would happen, but he didn't explain the why. Now, God continues to give people dreams today. He still gives people dreams today. In fact, I believe, though God did this certainly in Joseph's life and in other select persons throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, you see this happening, but it was an occasional thing. I believe that God gives many more people visions and dreams today. 
Why? Because we're living in a different time. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. He speaks to us. God is not someone who just operates through a few select people as he did in the Old Testament, but he desires to move through all of his people today. So for that reason, God still gives people dreams. God has given many of you dreams. He has shown you things that he desires you to do and people that he desires you to become. It's very important that I establish this fact because when I speak of dreams, it's not just people who are in ministry. You know, it's like a calling into ministry. I'm to, I'm, it's, it's broader than that. It's not just somebody who's going to do something that is world-changing. It's not just somebody who's going to have a great deal of notoriety or fame. Maybe that's not the best word. It's not just going to be someone who is, is going to be known worldwide, but rather God speaks into people's hearts. He shows people, gives them a glimpse of what they desire to be. I remember talking with someone several weeks ago. When they were young, they saw how somebody operated in a family and God spoke into their heart, into this person's heart, and they said, someday I want this in my own family. That if God gives me a family, this is what I want. What was that? That was a God-given dream. It didn't happen in the middle of the night, although that can still happen. I've talked with others here, and, 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 and your businessmen, or your, your farmers, or your ranchers, your, 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 your people who are involved in, in, in commercial enterprise of some sort, and God puts it on your heart to do something, to build a business, or to grow a business, or to grow a, a farming or ranching operation. He puts it on your heart, and it's not just about doing something with the business, but that God desires to do something with it beyond just making a living. There are people that God puts it in their heart that they want to see something happen in their children or in their grandchildren. Or God desires to use them in their job in a unique way. And, and I, I shared a couple of weeks ago, there have been, I went back and counted about seven different times in my life where I just know that it was just a glimpse into the future and it was so small. But God said, this is what I want you, no details for me. But I knew that that was going to be a part of my future. Some had to do with what I do as a pastor, but others had to do with what, I, what he desired to do in me as a husband, and it was long before I met Joni. There, were, there was something I remember one time, I saw this and God put it in my heart that one day I was going to do that as a father. It was a God-given dream. I don't want you to look at this and say, well, I've never had something like Joseph, so obviously this doesn't apply to me. I would say this applies to most every person here who has a living relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in some way, at some time, in some place, speaks something into your heart and it may not be big. It probably doesn't involve all of the details, but he puts something into your heart. Now, let me give you a heads up on something. He may give you a glimpse of something and you may think it has to do specifically with you, but it really has to do with someone else. If you think about this, if you know anything about Joseph's story, this is kind of a, um, what do they call this, a spoiler alert? Here's a spoiler alert. When the dream that Joseph had was ultimately fulfilled, 
The fact that his family bowed down to him was really a small part of the dream or the fulfillment of the dream. Sometimes we think, well, that was, that was the great moment. No, the, the greater story of what was surrounding his family bowing down to him was far more significant than the fact of a gathering of brothers on their knees in front of their younger brother. That was a small part of it. And when God gives people dreams today, when he speaks into people's hearts today, though it may be something that he desires to do in your future, I got news for you. It's not all about you. It's what he wants to do in you and through you to touch the world around you. See, that's a, the that's a difference between, <coughs> between a, a man-made dream. You know, I desire to go and see this place or I desire to get this accomplishment. None of, n- not necessarily bad things. Those are dreams that we can have for ourselves and, and a God-given dream. God-given dream, again, is a glimpse that he gives you of something that he wants you to do or something that he wants you to be at some point in the future, and there probably, like Joseph, will not be too many details. So Joseph received this dream, and then he goes and he tells his brother. Joseph's one of those persons in Scripture that you don't see too many flaws, but I'll tell you what, that was not very smart. Because if you have a bunch of brothers that are jealous for you because he was dad's favorite, you don't go to them and tell them the dream. There are some dreams that we're just not to tell to people. And let me just add that for you as well. God may have spoken some things to you and they're only for you for right now. Well, he went and he told his brothers. They were livid. They didn't like him in the first place. They were jealous of him in the first place. The Bible says that they initially wanted to kill him, but they settled they settled on selling him into slavery. I tell you what, you can read it later in chapters 37 and following, but this is one messed up family. I mean, I've, I've sensed family tension. I've worked with some of you and a lot of other people in, in trying to resolve some situations with family, but I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't remember the last time that somebody conspired against a family member to kill him It crossed my mind to sell my brother into slavery, but there was nobody buying him at that time. (laughs) I hope he's listening to this. I'm teasing. This was a messed up family. This was a whacked out family. Well, the story goes on, and he goes to, he's taken to another nation, Egypt. It's a different culture. He was sold to a powerful man named Potiphar, and it was in Potiphar's house. It was in this place called Potiphar's house that we begin to see Joseph's character, how he became, the Bible tells us, in chapter 37, he became trusted. Actually, in chapter 39, he became trusted. He, uh, he worked hard. He was honest. He was responsible. Here's this person who is in a bad place, but... He, he doesn't just simply look at this bad place and say, well, I'm in a bad place. I'm just going you know, live to live for another day and just you know, subsistence living and, and just kind of get along <laughs> and, and, and you know, don't, don't, keep, don't raise your... No, he, he was a man who his character, which was already there, is, is, is revealed in a very bad place. 
Now, how does that relate to us? Every person here has character, uh, varying degrees, good or bad. Every person here has character, but it's going to be observed, it's going to be revealed in difficult places. If you want to see a person's character, put them under pressure and see how they respond. The character is going to come out. It's going to be revealed. Well, he's a man who's under pressure, and his character comes out, but his character is revealed in that he becomes more responsible. He's trustworthy. He becomes like what we would call him the chief of staff of Potiphar's house. And he's in charge of all of the people, except two people, Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar. So his dream wasn't fulfilled, but his life wasn't so bad. Now, the Bible does not go into details in exactly how it was in Potiphar's house. So here's, uh, here's a, uh, a, an assumption that I have. I assume that life was pretty good for him, even though he was still a slave. If he's chief of staff in the house, he's got the best, best of the quarters, the, the slave quarters or the servant quarters. If, 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 he's, if he's in charge of everyone else, including the cooks, he's going to eat probably rather well, at least better than you know, a, a slave serving elsewhere. He was still in slavery. It's not a perfect situation. But in many ways, I think, it's an assumption, I think that Joseph had it pretty good. The dream hadn't come true yet, but he still had it rather well. Until, until Potiphar's wife asked Joseph to sleep with her. The Bible says that she came to him one day. She noticed that he was good looking. It says that he was, he was, uh, he was a, a, a well-built man, I think is how one translation says it. He's handsome in every way. He's admirable. He's got a nice character, and, and, and people see that. And she comes up to him, and she says, I'd like to sleep with you. She propositions him. The Bible goes on to say that Joseph refused her, not once, not twice, but the Bible says day, and this is a quote, day after day. Day after day, she would come to him and say, hey, how about today? How about tonight? Um, can we go now? And, and every day he would say, no. Day after day, no. No, no. I, I, again, I'm assuming some things here, but I think it's a safe assumption that somehow Joseph knew that if he gave in to her, it would kill the dream. Because Joseph said this, he said to her the first time, he said, <clears throat> Everything in this house, my father has, excuse me, your husband has, has placed in my care. Everything here I'm in charge of, with one exception, and that is you. How could I do this against him? And then he went on and he said, and how could I do this thing and sin against God? This is a man who understands authority, both in a civic sense, in a in a work environment, he understood authority. But he also stood, understood that there's a relationship he had with his heavenly father that if he messed with her, then what God desired for him could and probably would be broken. I preached on this a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned this last week, and so I mention it again now. 
there may be some here this morning that God has spoken to you. He's given you some dreams. He's planted some things in your hearts that he, that he wants to do. But you've been reminded even in these two weeks, you've been tempted. And there's a difference between temptation and giving into the temptation. But you've been tempted to give into some kind of sexual temptation. And it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit brought back to your mind that to give in to that sexual temptation that is so prevalent and I believe increasingly prevalent in our society that says that that's not wrong and yet the Bible's very clear that it is, that the Bible says that is, that is abhorrent, that that is not allowed, that that is to be reserved for something else. Even in our society that increasingly says there are no boundaries, God says that there are some boundaries and that to violate that mean, may mean that you could lose the dream. And our God is greater than that temptation. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But then on one very memorable day, Mrs. Potiphar did not ask, she did not ask Joseph to sleep with her. Instead, the Bible says she came to him, she grabbed him by his coat, she pulled him close, and this time not asking but demanding, she said, sleep with me. Well, Joseph didn't tell her no, (laughs) he ran. The Bible says he fled. He ran out, and while that is happening, as he is receding into the distance, his back to her and she's looking at him, suddenly her passion, in a moment, her passion, that it was, it was not a good passion, her lustful passion turned to humiliation like that. And then just as quickly as her, her wicked passion turned to humiliation, in just as, just as fast her humiliation turned into rage. Sometimes that happens. It can happen very, very quickly. Sin, any kind of sin, can turn into humiliation, can turn into rage like that. And it happened. Oh, Joseph was a smart man. He ran. Smart man. We studied it last. He was a smart man. But the sin, or turned into humiliation, turned into rage. The Bible says she screamed. She called for other servants in the house. They came running. She accused him. He's still running. She accused him of attempted rape. Guards were called. He was apprehended. And by sundown that day, he is thrown. If there was a trial, it wasn't much of one. He was thrown into prison. Joseph did the right thing, but he was falsely accused, and he was put in jail. He did the right thing, not once, not twice, but day after day. He did the right thing, but he's accused of a horrendous thing. He is falsely accused of a terrible thing. I don't think he saw it coming. I don't think Joseph saw this coming. I think when he got up that day, he was just going... All right, you know, I got to get uh, the, the household help lined up, and we, you know, we, we got to cut down that, that one uh, palm tree because it's in the way, and, you know, we need, to, we need to bring in, the sand is blown in, we need to get that swept out, and, oh, we need a new supply of papyrus because uh, uh, Potiphar wants to do some record keeping, and, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Mrs. Potiphar, she's going to be there again. I'm going to tell her no again. You know, check, 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 check. 
I, I don't think that he knew that day that by that night he was going to be in, in a prison. I don't think that he saw it coming. But now, as he's in prison, he's tested. He's, he's tested by how he responded to false accusation, to injustice. And I shared this last week, how, how I believe that God did a work in him, not only that day, but in the days following, because at the end of his story, you do, or throughout his story, you do not find him blaming Mrs. Potiphar or Potiphar. You do not see him uh, when he's a free man and a powerful man. You do not see him taking out vengeance on her. When he has, late, later on, again, spoiler alert, but you probably know the story. When he has opportunity to confront his brothers, he doesn't destroy them. This is a man who responded. I believe God healed him there in that prison. Healed him from the words of others. Healed him from the accusations of others. Healed him by the injustice done to him by others. And I shared last week how there are some th things that happen to us. There are some things that happen to you. There have been so many, th I don't, I don't, no exceptions. There are things that happen to you that should not have happened to you. Maybe it happened when you were a child, when you were a young adult. Maybe it happened last week. There are some things that happen to us just in this life that are absolutely unjust. However, we serve a God who heals so that when we have opportunity, we don't respond in kind. And there's some of you that, now, I, I, give, I give you a heads up on this. You're, you're hearing some of this on Sunday and having to live it on Monday. And you know that. Some of you know that. I mean, you, you hear it last Sunday and last Wednesday, you had opportunity. Somebody said something and, and you're going, wow, this is like a Joseph moment. I mean, there's a reason that God places this before us. And we have opportunity. How do we respond to it? Verse 20 again says this. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, that verse is not very long. That's just really just a few words, just, just a part of verse 20. Read it again. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Not very long, but it actually tells us quite a bit. Obviously, he's in prison. And prisons are always difficult places. I don't know if you've spent much time in prisons or jails, if any. I've visited, I have, I've been, I've been in, okay, confession time, I have been in jail so many times, sometimes visiting some of you, but I've been in jail visiting people. <laughs> and I don't like being in jail. Now, I'm there, and I know that when the meeting's done, I'm going to go, but I don't like, I've got to be honest, it, it, it bothers me to go into a jail and hear that door click behind me. And that's bothersome to me. Prisons are, on the best days, prisons are, I've never heard anybody say, well, that's a great prison. You know, it's just, it's prison. Joseph was in prison. It, it also says that it was the king's prison which simply means that there were people that were of higher notoriety, uh, people that were there by the direction of the king, or in this case, one of the king's key men. Uh, Potiphar was 
like head of the personal security, we understand, for the, the Pharaoh. So this was, this was for high-level people, which means it's very secure. You're not going to dig out. You're not going to work your way out. You're, you're there. It's a bad place. It's not only prison, but it's the king's prison. And it also uses the word confined. It says Joseph was confined. Now, he had known confinement before. If you remember Joseph's story, when his brothers first grabbed him and they, they put him in a cistern, an empty kind of a well, a holding tank. And, and he, I don't know how long he was down there. I don't think terribly long. But, but he had known confinement before. He was still, even as a slave, he knew some degree of confinement. He wasn't free to just say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this place. No, he, was, he knew, but he had never known confinement like this. I want you to consider for a moment, use that imagination that God gave you, and I want you to imagine there is Joseph and he is there in that, he's there in that prison, in that king's prison. He's confined. He may have been, he may have been tied down, chained down, I don't know, but he's in that restricted place. It's the night of his first time there, his first day there. He had been a man of some responsibility that morning. He had a nice room that morning. He had good food that morning, but now he's in this prison. Think of the things that have been taken away from him. Maybe you know enough of his story by now, sometime before some months, maybe a few years before, his coat, that coat that his father had given him that showed favoritism, it was multicolored and bejeweled. It was a beautiful coat. When his brothers heard the dream, they grabbed him and they tore the coat off of him. The first thing he had taken away from him was his coat, his coat of many colors. And then he was sold into slavery, which means that his freedom was taken from him. The relationship that he had with his father and his mothers, and to some degree with his brothers, that too was taken with him when he was sold into slavery and put on the road to Egypt. So his coat was taken from him, his freedom was taken from him, his family was taken from him. Now his comfort, he had a good room in Potiphar's house. He had a place of honor in Potiphar's house. That was taken from him. His good name this man who had high integrity, who was known for his work ethic, this man was known for his honesty, it too was taken from him. He is sitting there in the king's prison and he has lost so many things. So many things have been taken from Joseph. So much taken away, stripped away. You ever had anything taken from you? You ever had anything taken from you? Something that you would have never surrendered on your own. Something that was valuable. Something that was precious. Something that gave you some degree of purpose. Something even that you cherished. You ever had anything taken from you? Good name, position, comfort, family, security, peace, honor, 
You ever had something taken from you? Maybe you can understand a little bit of what Joseph was feeling in his first night confined in the king's prison. To better appreciate this difficult period that Joseph was beginning, you need to understand Joseph's timeline. The Bible says Joseph was age 17 when he was given the dream and then shortly thereafter sold into slavery. The Bible later tells us that he was 30 when he was released from prison. That means that Joseph endured 13 years either as a slave in Potiphar's house or as an inmate in the king's prison. I want you to understand that timeline. That by age 30, nearly half of his life has been spent or will have been spent either as a slave or as an inmate. 13 years is a long time. A lot can happen in 13 years. Hey, listen, a lot can happen in 13 minutes. But 13 years? What would happen inside of you if 13 years of your life were beyond your control and beyond your choice, in one sense, taken from you? What would happen to you if for 13 years your dream, let me rephrase that, your God-given dream were put on hold? How would you respond if for 13 years you were separated from the people that you loved, doing the things that you used to do? 13 years is a long time. 13 years. It's a very long time. What would be the big temptation there in prison? I'm not talking about just that first night. But what would be the big temptation if, if early on he, he was tempted with, you know, doubt? He's in a cistern. What's going to happen? And, and then a, the big temptation in Potiphar's house was, you got to keep saying no to this, this loose woman. That was the big temptation then. And, 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 and we, we believe that one of the big temptations is vengeance, right? Going to get back to those people that threw me in prison, threw me in the cistern, and falsely accused me, forgot me later on. If that was a big temptation, what's the big temptation? Over, the, over these 13 years, what's, what's one of the big things that he would fight? I mean, just beyond the normal of you know, living and surviving in a prison, what would be the big thing? Again, it wasn't the sexual advances of, of the boss's wife. He was in prison. She had probably moved on to someone else. It, it wasn't the attacks of his brothers. They were a country away. I believe because, and I wanted you to see this time frame, I believe that because time was passing and because his circumstances, both time passing and his circumstances made the dream appear even more distant. And these are two important factors, circumstances and time. I believe the big temptation that Joseph faced was discouragement. Discouragement. 
Do you ever think about discouragement as being a temptation? Do you ever think about discouragement as being something that could defeat you? Did, you? did you ever think about discouragement being something that will keep you from seeing the fulfillment of a dream, a God-given dream? Discouragement literally means a, a dearth or a lack of courage. To have courage removed from you. Discouragement. Now here, here's here's, here's a, a definition. The emotional and even spiritual erosion that happens when time and circumstances make the fulfillment of a dream seem less likely. There's a key word in there, and it's the word erosion. Again, it's the emotional, it's, it's, it's what happens inside of our, our heads, and, and it's spiritual, it's what happens inside of our hearts. It's not just something in my mind, it's something in my whole being. It is the emotional and even spiritual erosion, that's the key word, erosion. In other words, erosion happens generally bit by bit. Disappointment can happen in a moment, right? You find out something and you're disappointed. But discouragement uh, implies a degree of time. It's, it's an erosion. It's over the course of time. It is an emotional and spiritual erosion that happens when time, long time generally, time and circumstances make the fulfillment of the dream even less and less likely. You see, Discouragement wasn't something that he faced just on that afternoon or that evening of his first day in jail, uh, in prison rather. Uh, uh, discouragement was something that he would have to fight for the next <clears throat> 13 years. Listen to me. God-given dreams are powerful things. God-given dreams move us. God-given dreams inspire us. God-given dreams are, are things that will get us up early and make us go late and work really hard in between. God-given dreams will be things that we will sacrifice almost anything else for. God-given dreams are powerful things. But there's a dream killer discouragement discouragement is a tool that satan uses to kill dreams and to defeat us did you ever think about discouragement as a temptation did you ever think about that discouragement it's powerful and it's real never never underestimate the destructive power over the course of time, the destructive power of discouragement. There's an old story. It's a fable. Just understand what a fable is. A fable is a story that is made up to communicate a truth it's, or a, a principle. I don't want to use the word truth because that's more of a parable at least in the biblical context. But a fable is a story. Here's, here's a fable for you, all right? So just understand the context. There's a, a, a fable of how the devil was in his tool room. The devil was in his tool room. And he was giving a tour of his tool room to a demon. 
showing him his tools. They walk into the room and the devil's tools were right there and they were arranged on the wall. Labels on each of the tools. There arranged on the wall were the devil's tools like hatred and anger and envy and jealousy and lust and greed and doubt. They were Satan's tools. I mean, they are vicious-looking tools, deadly-looking tools. I mean, you just look at them and you're terrified. Tools that were well-known, well-known tools. Each of them was a well-known tool that Satan had effectively used to destroy people for generations. Destroy some with anger, some with doubt, some with lust, some with greed, some with jealousy or envy. And there were a lot of other tools. Tools that destroyed people and tools also that destroyed dreams. But hanging off to one side was a small, old, and well-worn tool. It was not so deadly looking. It wasn't so scary looking. It appeared, however, to be one of the most used tools in Satan's tool room, and it was labeled discouragement. The demon asked the devil why it was set apart from the others. Satan replied, because I use that tool more often and more easily than the others. And then he explained, many people forget that discouragement belongs to me. With discouragement, I can open doors that are tightly bolted against all others. And then Once I am inside a person with discouragement, I can then use any of these other tools that suit me best. I just want want you to think about that. Listen to, this is not scripture, please understand that, but when you think, it's powerful, that's a powerful principle. Again, Satan said that many people forget that discouragement, Satan says, is from me. With discouragement, I can open doors that are tightly bolted against all others. Because some people, many, particularly Christians, say, I won't give in to that. I won't give in to that. I know that's deadly. I know that's of the enemy. But sometimes people forget that discouragement is something that Satan uses. And then once he's inside a person with discouragement, then he brings in another tool. Ah, It's not a time for you to affirm and say, yeah, that's me, but how many persons here have, has the enemy gotten into your heart through discouragement because of time and because of circumstances, and it seems you're further and further and further away from the dream? Maybe you're discouraged because of what someone said or did or falsely accused Maybe you're discouraged, you've been discouraged and because you spent such a long process. But the enemy gets into your heart, he walks into your heart through discouragement, but he then brings something else in. Discouragement is powerful. Discouragement, never underestimate the destructive power of discouragement. And I'll tell you what, 
The enemy has used it. He's used it and perhaps even is using it on some of you. And some of you right now, I don't know your story. I don't know your background. But there are some here this morning that you are deeply discouraged. And I want you to understand that that is not of God. That is of Satan. Discouragement is powerfully destructive. But I, I, I can't leave it there. How, how, how could I ever just leave it there and say that you know, this is what can happen? What's interesting, if you know the rest of his story and we can talk about his story, the, the thing is with Joseph, while he was surely tempted by discouragement, not just that first night, but many times in the, in the, in the early prison days and in the 13 years, that, or in the years, and we, by the way, we don't know how many of those years he was in Potiphar's house and how many years in prison. I tend to think that Potiphar's house was not a very long time because Mrs. Potiphar noticed him pretty early on. I think that the majority of that timeline that you saw up there earlier was, 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 not, was, was not Potiphar's house, but it was more prison. It's, it's opinion. We don't know the exact numbers. But I believe that it was something that he was tempted again and again and again, and yet he did not succumb to it. How do we know that? How do we know that he didn't give in to it? Because the end of verse 20 and the beginning of verse 21 says this, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Folks, I, you know, this is why I want you to bring your Bibles, because if you've got your Bible in front of you, you've got a pen, man, just underline that part. End of verse 20, first part of verse 21, while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He was in this bad place. Prisons are always bad. The king's prison was particularly bad. He was confined. He couldn't get out of this place. This was probably a life sentence. But while he was there in prison, it says the Lord was with him. You know, you can't keep Jesus out of a prison. Come on, come on, I need better than that. Come on, how many know that you can't keep Satan out of a prison? Keep, keep Jesus out of a prison. What did I say? <laughs> Satan is in prison. You can't keep, let me do it again. You can't keep Jesus out of a prison. I love that text. Underline it. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And the key verse there, or the key part of that statement is with him. God was with him. The same one who gave him the vision was with him. Just because the, the dream wasn't happening, just because the time was bad, just because the circumstances were bad, just because somebody had lied about him, just because of all of that, God was still with him. You can't keep God out of a prison. Verse 21 continues, the Lord showed him, in that prison, the Lord showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I don't know how long it took. I don't think it took very long. But I think that the same character that had been displayed and revealed in Potiphar's house was now being revealed in, an, in even a worse place. And in that horrible place, here's this man. I don't believe he gave in to discouragement, though he was tempted. He was surely tempted. I don't believe he gave in to it because even in that place, he could have said, you know what, I, that's it. I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm going to eat my mush in the morning, my mush at night, and just hope for an early end. But he didn't. 
He's sitting there in this prison, but you know, I can, I can surrender to this. I can succumb to it. And I'll tell you what, boy, sometimes you're just really tempted to give into discouragement. Or he could say, here I am in this bad place and I'm going to trust God because God is with me. He still sensed the presence of God in his life. So you know what? I might as well organize some things here. And even in that horrible place, God used him. By the way, can I add this? Because there, there's, a, there's a connection here. There's a, there's a correlation where it says in verse 21, the Lord was with him in, again, verse, the continuation of verse 21, it says the Lord showed him kindness and granted him favor. When you have favor with God, you will also receive favor with man. Not all people, but there's a connection there. Some of you are, are hoping to make connections. Listen, you have favor with God and you walk in his blessing and he's going to bless your other relationships. You, I, I, there's so much here. I, I, could, I could go really deep here. I can't. I don't have the time. But, but do, do you understand that how encouraging it must have been early on to all of a sudden know that that warden, the, the, the chief jailer, that, that he, he is helping that I'm helping him and he's help, he notices something in me. And even though the dream has not happened and it's still a long ways that will happen, it, he, he still, at that point, he understood that God's favor was on him and how encouraging that must have been. Verse 22 says this, So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was responsible for all that was done there. Same thing that he'd done as a slave, he's now doing as an inmate. Character. Do you know that cream always rises to the top? Now some of you are going, what in the world are you? Some of you are old enough, you understand what I'm talking about. Cream always rises to the top. And the cream's rising to the top. You can shake it, you can put it in a lot of different environments, but, but the cream's always going to rise to the top. Stan, you know what I'm talking about. You used to be a milkman. You uh, used to milk cows. Am I right, Stan, or am I right? That's right. Cream always rises to the top. It's a different environment, but character's coming out. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him, gave him success in whatever he did. I like that. If there's one thing I don't like, I, I don't like this world's definition of success. This world's definition of success means a certain net worth, a certain degree of applause or a certain degree of notoriety or, or fame. Uh, or accomplishment, or any number of things. That, that's how this world, you know what I define success as? Doing what God's called you to do, regardless of circumstance. I don't believe that he gave in to discouragement. Had he given in to discouragement, then it would have turned inwards, he would have been defeated, and he would have given up. And the dream that we will see that will happen later on would have never happened because he succumbed to discouragement. And I tell you, we are, many of you are still in that same place today. The dream is out there. God told you to do something. God called you to be something. And right now it seems so distant. And right now you are, some of you are discouraged or you're, <coughs> or you're tempted by it. And I tell you, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have someone who resides within us that can supernaturally encourage us. See, you're not alone. If you have been saved, 
If you have been transformed, if you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, then you need to also know that he gave you his Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus said this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. means helper, counselor. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. <laughs> Notice the terminal, with you. Same, same thing back in chapter 39 of Genesis. But now the Holy Spirit speaking to us, speaking to you and speaking to me. He will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. There are some of you right now, not physically in a prison, but you're in a bad place. You're facing some circumstances that are big, that are real, that are harsh, that, 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 that seem to make the dream further away, not closer. Some of you have had your own time frame, and, and it's, it's, it's not just been weeks or, or days, but it's been months and it's been years and you're tired, and you're weary, and you're wondering when it's going to happen. And the enemy, the enemy of our souls, the enemy of your soul, wants to defeat you with discouragement. And I tell you that you are here this morning, and you are listening to this message because the Lord Jesus Christ wants to supernaturally encourage you with his Holy Spirit. Stand with me, please, across this sanctuary. In the last number of weeks, so many of you have come up to me after this service, but more, even more, more so during the week, you've come to me and you've said, God spoke to me last week. I shared with somebody earlier, you know what, if you forget who it was to preach the message, I am totally delighted with that. But if, if, if God burns something into your heart, that's what I want. I believe that God has spoken to some of you, and I believe that God has spoken to some of you today. And I want you to understand that right now, today, God wants to supernaturally encourage you. You are not here by accident. It is not by chance that you are here. It is not by, by just, you know, any other. You are here to hear this, and, 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 and you, may be, you may be tempted, and I, and I say that. You may have even given into it. But remember what we sang earlier. Remember, we sing, we sing good theology and the good theology we said, we, one of the things is that, that he, he, he breaks strongholds. Some of you have given in to discouragement. Now, depression is, I think, a, an often consequence of that, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to go into that now, but I tell you, there, there are people who are depressed because they first gave in to discouragement. And those are very real things. I'm not minimizing it. I am saying this, that we have a God who is greater there's some of you that are, that, are, that are tempted by discouragement. And you're seeing it, and you just, there's something that you just say, I want to give up. I'm too tired. I've been fighting it too long. I've been holding out for the promise too long. But it just seems like every, with every passing week, it's just a little bit further away. It's so improbable. Right now, my circumstances tell me my dreams will never happen. And that's where Joseph was. His circumstances and the time told him, wanted to tell him, 
that the dream would never happen and the enemy's playing that same thing with you in some of your life. And remember, it's a spiritual thing and it's an emotional thing. It's a mental thing. And so right now I'm going to ask that, that you, will, you will just bow your heads. And, and again, as, as we've done in previous weeks, these altars are open. Uh, I'm going to pray for you. And, and then as soon as we're done praying, there are going to be some of you that are going to come to these altars and I want you to do so. Particularly if, if, if you're facing some degree of discouragement or you're tempted by it, um, I, I, I'm going to pray for you, but I also want to open up these altars and, and know that you can pray as long as you want. I, seriously, you can pray. You can be up here for you can be up here for hours if you want. But you may just be here for a few minutes. But these altars are going to be open. But right now, where you're standing, more importantly, right now, where in your heart you're kneeling before God. First of all, I mentioned earlier that it is in the context of a living relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you want to be supernaturally encouraged, you must first know him. He cannot, he cannot encourage you really deeply. He can encourage you in your mind, but he can't encourage you in your, deeply in your spirit until you have a relationship with him. So before we go any further, is there anyone with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, is there anyone here that would simply by saying, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know, I don't know that if I have a relationship with him, but, but, but you would do this. You would lift up your eyes and you'd lift up your hands so that I can identify you and we can pray together and we can, we can address that first. This encouragement that we're going to pray for is only in the context of you having a relationship with him. Is there anyone here that would say, yeah, that's me, Pastor. I want you to pray for me. Pray with me. Is there anyone here? I don't see anyone. That means two things means, number one, everyone here is a follower of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it means that some of you need to start bringing some of your unsaved friends here to hear the gospel. Okay? Just throw that out. Because everyone here knows someone who does not know Jesus. So you need to bring them so they, it's one way in which they can find Christ. So, everyone here is a follower of Jesus Christ. And right now, right where you are, right where you're kneeling in your heart before God. Jesus, I, we, we together come and we pray to you. Not just me praying, Lord, we pray. We pray right where we are, Lord. We're standing here, and I, I stand here, Lord, as one who has been deeply, deeply, deeply discouraged at times. And I remember how you supernaturally encouraged me. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here. I believe that every person here, by, by a lack of hands a moment ago, Lord, I believe that every person here then knows you. And so, Lord, we bring ourselves to you. And I pray that Satan would be defeated in our lives with his deadly, though innocuous-looking tool called discouragement we pray that Satan would not be able to carefully and quietly work his way into our hearts through discouragement I pray that the dream would continue because though tempted, we do not succumb to it. I pray that your Holy Spirit, that you promised, 
would not only be with us, but in us as we walk with you would supernaturally encourage. So that when the enemy comes around with his innocent looking tool called discouragement, the Holy Spirit around us, with us, and in us would rise up and say, not here, not this person, they're mine. And through that, Lord, we would keep our heads up and we would keep our hope up and that we would keep holding on to the dream though the time and the circumstances say otherwise. I pray, we pray for supernatural defeat of discouragement and the replacing of it with supernatural encouragement as only you can give. Or not only today around this, this, this sanctuary, but tomorrow. When, when the circumstances say otherwise, when the time frame says otherwise, when the dream still seems a ways off, when the, the fulfillment of it just seems so elusive, Lord, may your Holy Spirit supernatural encouragement come upon us. You may speak through others, Lord, and I thank you for it. It may be the chief jailer. <laughs> it, may be the, it may be somebody close to us or far off. It may be someone sending a note or making a phone call. It, it, it may be someone praying for us and we don't even know it. Lord, you're going to supernaturally do a work in us. And I pray this for every brother and sister here today. Thank you, Lord. And now as we go our way or we gather around these altars, we ask your powerful blessing upon us. Lord, we know that what we do is not of ourselves. It's of you and you alone. That outside of you, we can do nothing. And we hold on to that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. These altars are open.